Well, good evening. Well, you get settled in there. I encourage you to get your Bible and turn with us to the book of Ezekiel. We'll be starting in chapter 3 in just a moment, the book of Ezekiel. And while you're finding your way there, let me welcome each of you, first of all, for being here. We're glad we can come back together and study from God's Word. It's not a time in our life we're going to say, you know, we just got too much preaching. We just got too much Bible in our life. That's just not going to happen. And so these opportunities are good for us. They encourage us and they help us. And we're so thankful we can participate and encourage one another in these things. As you turn to Ezekiel 3, let me tell you a story. Up on the map there on the screen, you'll see France and Germany, and you see a solid red line. That's called the Maginot Line. And it's named after Andre Maginot. And at the end of World War I, when Germany took over most of Europe, France decided they're going to develop a system of defense. And so Andre Maginot was the defense secretary. And so he built this system of 280 miles of trenches and reinforced steel and concrete. 55 million tons of steel was embedded into the earth. 280 miles long is this. It was able to withstand artillery, poison gas, whatever else the Germans could throw against them. But Maginot made a big mistake. He anticipated the Germans of the 1940s would do what the Germans of the 1910s did. And he assumed they would attack the same way, same method, same everything. And so he was ready for that. What he did not know was that Germany went up through Belgium and just walked right on in. They just ignored his defense system. And in six weeks, France was overtaken by Germany. In our dictionaries, the expression, the marginal line, is defined simply as a defensive barrier that inspires a false sense of security. You think it's safe, but it's really not. The prophet Jeremiah said this a long time ago. He talked about the people saying, peace, peace, but there simply was no peace. And so when it comes to the congregation, and as God develops a system to help us, one of the things he does is develop a system of defense. God's word itself is a way of defense. But God has put shepherds in place to help us be what God wants us to be. This takes us to our, our passage in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. We're going to begin verse 17 and read down to verse 21. And what we're going to do this evening, we're going to, again, talk a little bit more about shepherds. We mentioned that last Sunday morning. We're going to continue with that this evening as we talk about the roles and things that they have before us. But Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning at verse 17, Son of man, I appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. And let's just do a time out there. I want you to know something about this word watchman. We understand the first translation was from the Hebrew, which this is written in, into the Greek. That was called the Septuagint version. It's a translation Jesus used most times when he quoted the Old Testament. And so this word watchman, when you look at it in the Greek, is the word bishop. Same thing as an overseer or a shepherd. Son of man, I appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. 
When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way, that he may live, that the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I'll require at your hand. In other words, here comes the enemy, and you saw them coming, and you didn't blow your trumpet. When the city falls, the man on the tower, the watchman, you're responsible. That's what he's saying. But then he says, in verse 19, Yet if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Now you're blowing the trumpet, but this guy says, that's ah, nothing. I don't think there's any problems. And the enemy comes and sacks the city. You are not to blame because you sent the warning. And so he says in verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die since you've not warned him. Uh, he says he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I'll require at your hand. However, he says, if you've warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you have delivered yourself. And so this passage reminds us when we think about the role of God's help among us, the role of the shepherd or the role of the elder as we consider these things. In the book of Acts chapter 20, and this is where we get this lesson title from, it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he's purchased with his own blood. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will rise, speaking perverse things that draw the way disciples after them. We have placed before this congregation the name of three men to be shepherds. And so it helps us as a congregation to think about our roles and their roles as we consider certain things along this line. Now there's a unique distinction between the concept of a shepherd in Judea and a shepherd in God's church. We use that term shepherd a lot, and sometimes we see a lot of parallels, but there are some distinctions that it's good for us to point out and to recognize. And the first thing we need to recognize is the shepherd in God's church is also sheep. That man on the screen there will never be a sheep. He's a human being. He will always be a human being. But when we talk about the role of the shepherd or the elder in the church, they wear two hats. They are shepherd leading, but they are also one of the sheep. And like one of the sheep, they need to eat what sheep eat. Now again, that man on the screen, that literal shepherd, he's not going to eat grass. You and I don't eat grass naturally. But what we, because there's a distinction between the natural shepherd and the sheep and what we see biblically with that. And then thirdly, as we think about the things that bother sheep and they also bother the shepherd when we think about that spiritually. Last week in our context, we talked about some things that bother sheep. One of them is that because sheep cannot scratch their ear like a dog or a cat, they get bugs in their ear. That's a problem. To that natural shepherd up there, he could deal with bugs in his ears. But when we think about this spiritually, what affects the sheep will also affect the shepherd because he too is a sheep. Now, see, I want to begin by talking about some common myths about shepherds in God's church. And one of the first myths we have is that they have all the answers. 
And so among us, you can ask us any question about anything, and we have the answer. That's what people think. We know everything about every verse in the Bible. We know everything about every situation. And that's a myth, because simply there's things that puzzle us. There's things that we have to study, and there's things that we have to look at. And I think a great place to illustrate this is in Acts chapter 15. Because in Acts 15, we notice what the apostles were doing in this regard. Acts chapter 15, and we begin at verse 1. It says, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had great discussion and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees, verse 5, who had believed, stood up and saying, It's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now notice verse 6. And the apostles... And the elders came together to look into this matter. Why did the apostles have to look? Don't they know everything? No, they don't know everything. Why were the elders looking into this matter? Don't they know everything? No, they don't know everything. And that's why we have our Bibles, and that's why we have discussions, and that's why we look at different situations. There are things that puzzle us. There's things that are hard to understand sometimes. That is a common myth that sometimes people have. A second common myth that people have is that they never make a mistake. And that's not true. That's not true because we are just human, and we make mistakes as well. Look in your Bible, Revelation chapter 2, and this is a great illustration of this. In Revelation chapter 2, as God was warning about Jezebel there, the uh, figurative woman who's causing a lot of trouble there, in Revelation 21 and in verse 20, Revelation 2, rather, verse 21, 221, it says, And I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now that little phrase, I gave her time to repent. How much time? Some people say, you didn't give them enough time. Some people will say, you're dragging your feet. You gave her too much time. You see what I'm saying when we think about this? And so elders do make mistakes. Shepherds make mistakes. And we need to see how the answer of all these things is found in the Word of God and how important it is to see these things. Number three, again, a common myth that they have is that they can carry all the weight and that they're almost like Superman. And that nothing is too hard, nothing is too heavy, nothing is too much for them. And again, another great illustration of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here as the Apostle Paul was talking about the things that he had endured, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we begin a little bit earlier in this, and he says as he talks about Boasting in the flesh, he says, in, in this regard, he says in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, to my shame I must say that they have been weak by comparison. And then he says, are they Hebrews? I, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, 
Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Can you imagine keeping track of all that stuff? That's what Paul was going through. And then he says in verse 25, he says, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, verse 28, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. A concern. Now you think about that list. You think about if you had to make a list of all those things that happened to you, probably you'd put something, the, the very hardest thing at the very bottom. You won't believe what I've been through. Spend a night in the ocean. I, I, I've had this happen, had this happen, had this happen, had this happen. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about churches, but that's no big deal. No, he put that last. That was a big deal. And the point of all this is they carry a weight, and it is a concern. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, we'll see in just a moment, again, a passage that kind of helps us to illustrate that. Number fourth, as we think about myths, is that shepherds don't need any help. The idea that they are always upbeat. They never get weary. They never get discouraged. And what we forget sometimes is that they have jobs. They have wives and children and grandchildren. They get sick. They have good days like you do, and they have bad days like you do. They fight the devil just as you do. There are things that bother them just as there are things that bother you. And so again, as we think about this concept of God's organization, God's defense system, we need not put in here ideas or concepts that the Bible really doesn't teach along this line. Now, as we go on with our study, I want us to go now to the book of uh, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, again, is a great illustration as we think about some things along what we're talking about this evening. Exodus chapter 17, we begin with verse 9. Exodus 17, verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with a staff of my God in my hand. Joshua did just as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And, and, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hands up, Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Here's the idea here. As long as Moses held his arms up, it made a difference. Now, my arms are getting, you can only do this so long. My arms are getting tired. Aaron couldn't come in like a tag team wrestler, hit his hand and say, okay, I'm in, I'm in. I'm Aaron, I got my arms up. Aaron's arms aren't going to do anything. Her, I'm going to hold my arms up. Nothing's going to happen. All Israel, let's hold our arms up. Nothing happens. It only happened to Moses. And so they had to help Moses. They couldn't hold their arms up. Because that wouldn't do any good. Helping Moses hold his arms up won the victory. 
Now, here's the point. You may not be a shepherd. You may not ever be a shepherd. But one thing you can do is help hold the arms of the shepherds up. And that's what we want to look at with the rest of our lesson. We want to talk about how we can help the shepherds that we have. And how we can look at some things along this line. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and verse 17, we find three principles I want you to notice. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The first principle I want you to notice about this is to sheep or to respect the shepherds, they are to obey them. And again, this idea of a relationship, this idea of being together with these things. In your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, where we read about Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. And I want you to notice two or three statements that's made here. Again, it illustrates this concept of a relationship that needs to be there. In John chapter 10, in verse 3 and verse 4, it says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. Down in verse 14 of the same chapter, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. There's a relationship there. And what I want us to see is there's a sense of obeying, as this passage says, elders do not legislate. Our legislators make law. That's their job. They are to make laws for the state of Indiana or the United States. Our legislators make law. Elders do not legislate. They do not make law. God has the law. But there's a voice they tell us. They warn us. And they encourage us. Godly living proper worship, how we need to concern ourselves about this. And one way we help hold up their arms is when we trust them, when we respect them, when we obey them as God wants us to. Now, this passage also teaches something else here. It talks about how the sheep trust the shepherds, and there's that word submit. Submit to them, it says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Our culture does not like the word submit. I believe it won't be long when you get a modern dictionary and that word submit is just taken out. Because our culture doesn't like it. Our culture doesn't understand that word. Our culture gets the idea that it means slavery and oppression and someone's controlling you. And this idea sometimes invites trouble and, and wrong ideas. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with attitude. It has to do, do I want to be a team player and go along, or I'm going to go my own way and fight? Without submission, it invites uh, division. It breeds disobedience. It breeds the idea that I don't have to do what anyone else does. The word submission is to bend my will. If after services, I'd say, hey, Delbert, let's go out to eat. Great. Delbert says, I want to go over here to Red Lobster. And I say, that's too heavy for me. I'm going to McDonald's. Well, we got a problem, don't we? Delbert can go to Red Lobster, eat by himself. I can go to McDonald's and eat by myself. Or we can say, see you later. You, we go our own ways. Or one of us bends our will. Which is more important, eating at McDonald's or Red Lobster or being together? That's submission. Submission is bending your will. I could do this. I see I want to do this. 
but I understand why this is better. And so I'll do that. And again, that's that relationship that sheep must have. They must trust their shepherds who understand these things and to understand the concept behind that. In Acts chapter 5, again, just illustrating what we've been saying already, just another example of this. In Acts chapter 5, as Peter had been put in prison and told not to preach Jesus anymore, he was released and said that he can go, but don't preach Jesus anymore. He says in Acts 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. Elders do not dictate. They're not bosses. They're not CEOs. They're in front of us, leading us to heaven. But what good is a leader if no one's going to follow? You got leaders out there, but the, everyone else is going the other direction. You got a leader there, and everyone is sitting down and not going. So inherent in this relationship of shepherding is a relationship that the sheep understand. I understand you. I understand where you're coming from. You're coming from the Word of God. It may not be something that I, that I really get right now for myself, but I see the need. I see who you are, and because of that, I'm going to submit myself to that. And then the third thing this passage brings out it says the idea that sheep care for the shepherd, and there's the joy factor. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Let's talk about the end of that phrase. You see, when I'm not obeying, and I'm not submitting, and I'm being a stick in the mud, and you can't tell me what to do, it's going to be unprofitable for me. I believe in two ways. First of all, right here, right now, because I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And I may be disciplined. But more so by the God of heaven. Because the God of heaven wants us to follow. This is his idea, not our idea. This is his organization, not our organization. And so the idea of this concept here, it brings about great joy and great help as we understand this. This, this is something that oftentimes is ignored and overlooked. And how many times do we hear people talking down to shepherds? How many times do we talk about them in the negative ways? Forgetting... First of all, we appointed them, forgetting that they do this work as volunteers, forgetting that they're trying to get us to heaven, and forgetting that, like the rest of us, they need grace and patience and forgiveness. What an important lesson that is. Now, in your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Again, concepts brought up about the sheep-shepherd relationship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, verse 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you would esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And again, the idea of how this works about. How can I help hold up the hands of the shepherd? I appreciate them. I'm going to stop negative talk. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to offer myself to help and to see how important these things are. Now, as we wrap up this lesson, I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you three things that the shepherds need to hear from you. Number one, I pray for you. I pray for you. They have a big task. Our passage in Hebrew says that they will give an account. 
They will give an account. Have they fed us the way we should be fed? Have they led us in a way that God wants us to go? Are they doing the things of God? And so we need to see how important it is to pray. And we have seen in this congregation, we have seen in my family personally, just in the last two weeks, prayer does something. Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. I told my son Jordan one day, and I've told you a lot of this privately, that I wonder what the angels in heaven were thinking this past two weeks. I mean, there's still war going on with Russia, and this is going on, this is going on, but all they might have been hearing over and over is Jordan, 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 Jordan. It's everyone everywhere was praying. And that's powerful. And good news came about because of that. And I want you to see how important it is that you pray for your shepherds. Are they perfect men? No. Can they do better? They're trying. They're learning. They're in the process of growing as you are. But how important it is to pray for them. Secondly, what they need to hear from you is I trust you. I trust you. Not a blind trust. Not anything you say is okay with us. No, it's based upon the word of God. But our culture today loves to trash leaders. Our culture today loves to fight leadership. Our culture today, there's a general mistrust of leaders. But to say, as you have our backs, we have your backs. I trust you. What a powerful thing that is. And to say, I appreciate the job you're doing. I understand why we have all these classes. I understand why we have all these people coming in to teach us in the summer. I understand why you're trying to do is you're trying to feed us and feed us and feed us. And you're giving us so many opportunities. I understand that. And I trust you. And then thirdly, to say thank you. Thank you. Long hours. Oftentimes, and this has happened more than one occasion, Something will happen among one of our members, and somebody will say, well, I wish the elders would go talk to that person, never knowing that months and months and months before that, there's been conversations, and there's been Bible studies, and there's been phone calls, and there's been texts, and you just haven't seen all that. And what you haven't been realized is all the, trying, all the good that they're trying to do. And how we may never understand all those things. They keep us safe. They keep us strong. They keep us moving toward Jesus. And so as we think about the role of shepherds, it is one of the lines of defense that God has. What Imaginal failed as he built that system in France was he failed to realize that the enemy changed his plans. He failed to realize that you can't just look at things as they once were without realizing things change for today. And he never realized how he needed to be doing the things that would help his country along those lines. And so shepherds are leading us biblically. They're getting us to follow God. They're trying to get you to heaven. And that's what this is all about. I had a discussion this past week with a preacher. Known him for a long time. We were talking about all these little country churches down through here. There was a time, historically, in the late 1800s, that the thought was, don't evangelize the cities. The cities are corrupt, nobody will listen, and we just need to take the gospel to the small, rural, country places. And that's why all over Indiana, Kentucky, Illinois, Ohio, we have all these little bitty country churches, because that's what they did. 
But times had changed, and those communities are dying, and there's not much people there. And you see these little bitty congregations that's just barely, barely hanging on. And as I was talking to this preacher last week about these things, the thought came up as he started naming church after church after church after church. Many of them I'd preached that years ago. No elders, no elders, no elders, no elders, no elders. And basically, it's Germany coming in, and there's no defense. And so we need to be thankful. We need to be blessed that not only do we have shepherds among us, we got three more who are willing to put their names up. Three more who are saying, you can count on me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. And it's going to be a tough work. And what makes us tough is you and me. The lives we live. Sometimes we make it tough. But we need to see how blessed we are as a church. How wonderful these things are. And how great they are as we follow the plan of God. And so those are our thoughts for this evening. hope it gives you some things to chew on. Lord willing, as we continue next week, we'll talk just a little bit more about the role of shepherding. But what we need to see is what a great help God has given us. Your shepherds, that includes me, is not different than you are. We're not better than you are. We're not smarter than you are. We're not more spiritual than you are. But God has allowed us to lead you. We're thankful for the way you follow us. We're thankful for the trust you put into us. And we're thankful for the good deeds that we can do to try to help you get to heaven. The bottom line when all this is done, no power. The person who says, well, these guys have all the power, the person who says that does not understand the New Testament. There is no power. There is no control. The shepherds do not control the church. Jesus does. But when this is all said and done, when we get to heaven someday, I think there'll be so many people will say, it's because this guy helped me, this person helped me, this sister encouraged me, these shepherds helped lead me. They had those classes, they had those sermons, they had this and this. I am here, Lord, because of you, but look at all the help you made possible. And about the time we start naming those names, I dare say someone's going to probably tap us on the shoulder and we'll turn around and they'll say, it's because of you that I'm here. Because that's how it works. We help you, you help someone else. We're all in this together. And so that's our thoughts. If you have any questions, be glad to help you as we kind of continue on with these things. But what a blessing, what an honor it is to be in a group that understands a biblical pattern and to understand how important it is to do the things of God. If you're not a Christian, there's only one way you're going to become one. That's the Bible way. You don't become a Christian by just sitting in the church building. You know, we can sit in a lot of places, but it doesn't make us who, who change. You can sit in a basketball arena, but it doesn't mean you can play basketball. You can go to a golf course, it doesn't mean you can hit the golf ball. You can sit in a church building, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. It's what's in your heart. And as we've been teaching and, less, and looking at over and over throughout this year, you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. You need to realize, I need you as my Savior. I need you to lead me to heaven and in this together we help each other if you've never been baptized you need to do that if you're not doing what you should be doing let's get on the ball this is serious stuff we all want to go to heaven we can help you won't you come as we stand as we sing